Good afternoon and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm John Tarleton, editor in chief of the Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website. You can find our current print edition in our red and white news boxes around the city. We're also in public libraries, independent bookstores, cafes, laundromats, social movement centers, and other venues. You can also find us online at independent.org. Our regular co-host, Amber Gagarian, is out today, though we will hear from her later in the show. I'm joined instead by our guest co-host, Elsie Carson-Holt. Hi, John. It's great to be here with you and all our listeners on 99.5 FM and streaming on WBI, WBAI.org. We sure have an amazing show today. That's right. In each of our three segments, we will hear from working class New Yorkers fighting for the basic basics of a dignified life. Quality health care in one's old age, reliable mass transit for being able to travel around the city, and a fair share of the wealth and better working conditions when your boss is making billions of dollars in profits off of your hard work. It, it, yes, and in our first segment, we'll get an update on a big legal victory for 250,000 retired city workers fighting the city's efforts to privatize their Medicare coverage. In our second segment, we'll go to the Bronx where stark class divides have emerged in the effort to remake a busy commercial corridor for better bus service. And in our final segment, we'll hear from a teamster who is in the thick of organizing what could be the nation's largest private sector strike in more than 60 years when the union's contract with UPS expires on August 1st. Uh, first, we turn to New York City's 250,000 municipal retirees. They've been fighting uh, for nearly two years to hold on to the supplemental Medicare coverage they were promised when they worked for the city. The Adams administration wants to transfer them to a private Medicare Advantage plan run by the Aetna Insurance Company. On Friday, State Supreme Court Judge Lyle Frank issued an injunction stopping the city's plans in its tracks. In his ruling, Judge Frank said he issued an injunction because he considered it very likely that the retirees will prevail on the merits of their case when it is fully adjudicated. Joining us now to talk about this is labor journalist uh, Stephen Wishnia. Steve covered the court hearings and the rulings for work by news. He has also covered uh, this ongoing battle by the city retirees uh, extensively for the independent. Uh, We also hope to be joined uh, shortly uh, by uh, Evelyn Jones Rich, a retired public educator, who has been on the uh, right in the thick of the fight uh, among the activists who are um, have labored so hard to uh, keep this plan from being uh, implemented. Um, so, uh, Steve, let's start with you. Uh, your thoughts on the significance of Judge uh, Frank's uh, ruling? Well, it's very significant because the de- the city set a deadline of Monday, uh, that is yesterday, with uh, for everyone either to be enrolled in Medicare Advantage or opt out, which meant that you would have to pay for your own Medicare. You'd have to find a Medicare, so pay for the basics of Medicare, which is like 180 a month out of your own pocket, and then find a supplemental plan to cover the 20% that regular Medicare doesn't cover. And those could be you know, as much as three or four hundred a month. Uh, so it prevented that from happening. So that's a big victory. And then uh, some people might not be able to find them, especially 
people out of state. Right. And um, were, were you surprised by the ruling? Uh, Judge Frank has uh, been uh, at the center of this case, uh, I think, about a year ago. Uh, no, I wasn't really surprised. I mean, I wouldn't have you know, bet my life on that he was going to rule in favor of the retirees. On the other hand, it wasn't like buying a lottery ticket. Uh, you know, basically, he's been ruled in favor of the retirees on similar issues. You know, one of the main issues is the retirees are arguing the city, you know, promised the the unwritten and often spoken or some, you know, written into law deal that city workers had is you might make less money than you will in the private sector, but you're going to have more job security and you're going to have solid health care and a pension when you retire. And their argument is, well, you know, Medicare Advantage is not real Medicare because, you know, now you're back into dealing with a private insurance company that, you know, has an algorithm that says, oh, we're not going to cover this kind of care. I got an email this morning about uh, a guy who's taking medication for an enlarged prostate. And one of the side effects of that medication is it's like Viagra. So the insurance company said, oh, we're not going to cover that because, you know, we don't cover erectile dysfunction. Uh, you know, that kind of arbitrary decision, it puts, so people are saying their health benefits are being lessened. And the city is, was arguing, the lawyer for the city in court last Thursday was arguing, well, there really was no promise. And that's just not true. Uh, you know, and they're arguing, you know, oh, Medicare Advantage is, you know, not as, it's just as good as real Medicare. Plus, you get things like, you know, rides to doctors and, you know, they'll provide you with meals when you get out of the hospital. But, you know, the problem that people have with Medicare Advantage is that, you know, it's private health insurance. So they make more money if they deny you care. Uh, even if you appeal, it takes time. And that discourages some people or some people get a lot sicker while they're waiting. Um, you know, a lot of doctors, especially out of state, are not covered by it. You know, so people would have to pay out of network rates. So, you know, that's the main, you know, the main thing was that there, there are three legal issues at stake. I uh, hear this is kind of legal technical stuff, but one is they had to prove a chance that they were likely to prevail. And the other is they had to prove that there was more that they were going to have irreparable harm done if you can't, you know, if unless the injunction was granted, uh, you know, which, you know, well, if, you know, your kid, the guy who's doing your kid, the doctor is doing your kidney transplant is out of network, you know, and you don't get a kidney transplant, that's, you know, a lot more irreparable harm than, you know, the city loses some money. Uh, I can't hear you. Um, so could you talk, would you be able to talk a little bit about um, the national speed, um, the, the Medicare Advantage sort of? The what? 
Oh, you want to talk about what about it? About the Medicare Advantage versus. All right, versus traditional Medicare. Yeah, over what they're like, what they'll lose if so. Yeah, it is a national issue. Uh, Medicare Advantage plans were, you know, legalized or established about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, and they're privately run. You know, Aetna is one of the big corporations that does it. United Health is another, and they generally offer a few more perks that some of them offer, you know, dental or vision care, which Medicare doesn't. Uh, thank you, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, along with some words that I'm not allowed to say on WBAI. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they generally offer a few more perks, but because it's private insurance, it has a narrower network of doctors. So, if you go to a doctor who's not in network, you have to pay more and they often, they'll have demand prior authorization for payments, which means, you know, people might be, you know, take them six months to get an appointment and three days before their appointment, they say, oh, we're not going to pay for this procedure. Uh, and the lawyer for Aetna in the court hearing was saying, oh, Prior authorization has gotten a bad name and got pretty derisive laughter from the people in the courtroom, which was. Yeah, in the same way that like headlights has gotten a bad name. I mean, there's not much yeah. good you can say for it. It took a bit. What he said, you know, took a bit of chutzpah because he was saying, well, private, private the way you, Medicare uses prior authorization so that, you know, they don't get overcharged by people, you know, inflating bills. And there's been a good bit of reporting recently on how Medicare Advantage plans game the system by what's called, you know, upcoding, which is that the way bills are determined is there's a whole system of codes and they will, you know, knock it, bump it up to a code that pays a lot more than what is necessary. So they get paid a lot more. Uh, Right. And, um, yeah, we, we'd also, uh, hope to be joined by, uh, Evelyn Jones Rich. Uh, she's a public educator. Um, she, uh, worked as a New York City public, uh, school teacher, a school principal, later as a associate, uh, dean at, um, at Hunter College. And, uh, uh, I spoke with her earlier today. Uh, you know, I can tell you she's on fire about this. She was very uh, happy, of course, about the ruling. But, uh, you know, she and the other retirees have really had this hanging over uh, them uh, for a while. I mean, she's 90 years old um, and uh, has been retired for over 30 years. Uh, Have you heard a similar account, Steve, from uh, retirees, uh, not only talking about what they have to lose, but also sort of the stress and the strain of the city Uh, constantly uh, trying to find ways to uh, sneak this through? Oh, yeah, because... You know, people have cancer, you know, people are in chemotherapy, uh, you know, people, you know, people get older, they have chronic conditions, uh, they need, you know, they need help for them and they're, you know, and, you know, it's enough going through it and going through the treatment, but if you have to deal with an insurance company and spend, you know, hours on the phone arguing with an insurance company about, 
you know, why they won't pay for this or, you know, why they're overcharged. You know, that's a lot of stress that, you know, if you're sick, you don't need it. Right. Um, the PSC has actually been one of the most outspoken unions. The Professional Staff Congress has been one of the most outspoken unions in the city against Medicare Advantage. Uh, right. That's a union local that represents about 30,000 faculty and staff uh, at the City University of New York, a, a longtime uh, uh, left-leaning union here in New York City. So, yeah, well, I mean uh, – and can you just recount for us how some of these other unions got uh, uh, tangled up in this, the UFT, DC-37? Uh, yeah, just to answer your question, the lead plaintiff in the lawsuit was a former fire department worker. I couldn't tell if he was an EMT or a firefighter, but he retired due to disability in 2014, and he had a kidney transplant a couple years ago that his body – rejected and he may need a second kidney transplant, but the hospital treating him does not accept Medicare advantage for any transplants, according to the lawsuit. And if he had to pay for a supplement, the supplemental plan that the city now pays the whole cost of, he'd have to pay 800 a month. Got it. Uh, uh, so anyway, you wanted to ask me about the unions. Yeah. The UFT, United Federation of Teachers, DC 37, which is the largest city workers union, and the sanitation men are the main unions, you know, pushing this. Uh, the, several years ago, the unions made a deal with the de Blasio administration that they could get raises without layoffs if they could find $600 million in savings on health care costs. And then when the deadline for that came, they decided, well, we'll put all the retirees on Medicare Advantage and save money that way, because uh, that way the city doesn't have to pay premiums. The federal government will. Uh, and to the retirees who are protesting this, this is uh, they feel like our unions threw us under the bus. Right. Uh, well, we'll have to leave it uh, there for now. Uh, uh, Stephen Wishney, a labor journalist with WorkBytes.com and The Independent. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thanks for uh, uh, joining us today. And um, uh, uh, Evelyn uh, 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 Jones-Rich, it, I'm sorry about the technical complications we've had. If you're able to connect with us, we'll try to uh, bring you on for a, a, a moment a little later in the show. We'd still love to get your reaction as one of the uh, leaders of this effort to to stop the, the privatization of uh, Medicare for retirees here in the city. Uh, meanwhile, we'll be back after this short break uh, with uh, latest on a big uh, mass transit uh, battle uh, up in the Bronx. But thanks for your time. Thank me for mine And after that said Forget it Don't be a name, there's no one to blame No reason why you should stay here and lie to me 
Don't say any more, just walk out the door, I'll get along fine, you'll see. There was a word, but magic's absurd. I'd make one dream come true. It didn't work out, but don't ever doubt how I felt about you. It's safe driving. Oh, God. All right. We're back uh, from our music break. Uh, and um, we we are going to be going to our mass transit segment in just a moment. Um, you're listening to the Independent uh, News Hour on uh, WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm your host, John Charlton, here with Elsie uh, Carson Holt, also uh, from the Independent. And... Um, uh, but before we go to our, our next segment, uh, we had a technical glitch there, and we weren't able to bring um, our other planned guests, um, uh, Evelyn uh, Jones-Rich, on. Um, so we do want to briefly get her take on this uh, a big uh, legal victory. Uh, uh, Evie, are you there? Yes, I'm here. All right. Well, sorry we uh, weren't able to have you there with uh, Stephen Wishnia. Um, he was able to uh, cover a lot of ground in our conversation, but uh, very quickly, let's we'll get your reaction as a retiree, uh, 90 years old, been at the center of this fight. Uh, how are you feeling about the big legal victory on Friday? Let me tell you, I'm ecstatic. And so are all of my friends, because this is a victory that we hoped for, but we were not sure we would achieve. I think this judge is wonderful. And he's obviously a very smart man, because if you read the decision, you will see that he understands not only our arguments, but the nuances of our arguments. And the mayor and his administration, they are trying to take away our health care, health care that we work for, we earn, that was promised and that we are going to win. Let me put the word out to friend and enemy. The mayor and his administration is up against an army, an army of old people who are not going to accept his desire to cheat us out of what is rightfully ours. As I say to my friends, he may have money and greed on his side, but we have right and justice on our side. Okay? Right on. There are a lot of details that 
maybe we won't have time to go into. No, unfortunately not. Yeah. Okay. But the bottom line is that we will not give up. This is something that we're entitled to. We earned it. We earned it over years of service to this great city of ours, and we're going to collect it. Okay. All right. All right. Evelyn Jones Rich, uh, uh, re, uh, municipal retiree here in New York, retired public educator. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your reaction to the big victory uh, last week for the retirees in court. And we're going to move on to our uh, next segment. Um, uh, we thank our, our next guest uh, for being patient as we uh, navigated our first segment. Um, uh, Elsie, you want to uh, uh, tell us what we've got in the works here for the second segment? Yeah, for our second segment, we're going to turn to the Bronx, um, where residents of the Fordham Road are crying foul after the Adams administration recently put the brakes on a plan to improve bus service for their community. Um, under the plan, the New York City Department of Transportation would build a dedicated busway along a crowded stretch of Fordham mm-hmm. Road that runs from Jerome Avenue to Webster Avenue. The busway would serve the eight, the 85,000 passengers per day who travel down the stretch of the Bronx and some of the slowest moving traffic in the city. Um, since special interests appealed to Mayor Eric Adams to maintain the status quo, the project has been stalled for the busway, but a rally was held earlier today at Fordham Plaza in support of the busway. Both bus passengers and mass transit advocates have called for Fordham Road to be reimagined so people can safely travel in their community. Thanks to the independents, Owen Schacht, uh, who attended the rally and provided us that uh, footage. Uh, um, among the groups participating in the rally uh, was the Riders Alliance, was uh, also the Strap Hangers, and uh, uh, Laborers uh, Local uh, 1010. Um, 
Yeah. Um, and then joining us now to talk about the Fordham Road controversy and efforts to improve bus service for the millions of New Yorkers per day who ride the city's buses is Derek Holmes at the Riders Alliance. Derek, welcome to the Independent News Hour on WBAI. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, for starters, could you describe what a busway is as well as why do you think it's needed on Fordham Road and sort of what the impact it would have? Uh, yeah, sure. So the main idea of a busway on Fordham Road, uh, so right now the way the street is set up, we have the curb, uh, then we have the bus lanes, which they barely exist right now. They're kind of old and, and faded and, and casually ignored. And then we have a lane for cars and a lane for cars. So that's like essentially the makeup of the street right now. What the busway would do, it would go from that to the curb. Uh, then it would be parking and loading zone. Then it would be a lane strictly for buses, trucks, and emergency vehicles, and another lane strictly for buses, trucks, and emergency vehicles. So it would essentially completely transform the street to shift priority away from personal vehicles to transit uh, commercial trucks and emergency vehicles. And, yeah. uh, oh, yeah, I forgot the second part of that. but Oh, yeah, go on. No, I mean, well, you already got into why it's necessary on Ford and Road. We're talking about... Uh, you know, just pretty much one of the most important transit corridors in the entire city. We're talking about a, a, a corridor that's that's moving 85,000 plus people every single day who depend on these buses. Uh, and then the makeup of the people that are riding these buses, right? So just looking at a report from, from the New York State Controller's Office, uh, says the average bus rider in the Bronx is earning about $20,000 a year. Uh, the majority of them are women and 95% of them are people of color. So it's like we're, when we're talking about the communities that need access to good transit to be able to get to places like work, get to places like school, just participate in their communities. Uh, these are the people we're talking about and these are the people that we're trying to improve bus service for. And what is the makeup of the opposition to the busway? Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, so the main opposition to the busway and, and the driving force behind the issues we're having right now is a very small group of people uh, that represent a couple Bronx institutions, including the Botanical Garden, Bronx Zoo, uh, St. Barnabas Health, the Belmont and Fordham Road bids. So these people mostly choose to drive wherever they go. We're talking about people that make like $100,000 a year, probably worth millions. At least one has access to a personal driver. Uh, you know, the, the opposition is essentially made up of a select group of wealthy, powerful individuals that are kind of flexing their political capital to, to do away with a project that they see as impeding on their claim to our public space. Yeah, um, and this is something, this project is something that Mayor Eric Adams originally campaigned on. He promised to be a bus mayor. Um, can you talk about, firstly, how he sort of followed up on that process, on that promise, um, as well as why do you think he's sort of turned his back on it? Yeah, so it, it's it's one of the things that we're still asking ourselves. It's very confusing. Uh, you know, back when he was borough president, candidate for mayor, Eric Adams, uh, yeah, he did campaign on being the bus mayor. He campaigned on installing 150 miles of new bus lanes. Uh, during his first administration, which right now I think the best count that we can get from DOT is somewhere around like 12 or something like that. So he's, he's falling very far behind. Uh, you know, we're still asking ourselves the question why the mayor is failing to stand up, you know, to his own words, 
uh, and is failing to do right by the riders that he promised that he would speed up buses for, which like reminder that New York City has the slowest buses in the entire country. So coming into office, Mayor Adams, he made it a point to say that he was going to do everything in his power to change that. Uh, this would be a perfect opportunity to do just that. Uh, and it's very disappointing to see that the voices of a few you know, wealthy, powerful people are able to get him to go back on his own word. But we, we, we aren't sure why it's happening or why he's allowing it to happen. We just know that we're shocked and appalled by it. Right. And, and sort of looking uh, beyond uh, the situation at, uh, uh, for, on Fordham Road, Derek, can you talk about in general how improving bus lanes, uh, can be a far more egalitarian and cost effective uh, then uh, Manhattan-centric uh, subway extensions like the one we saw where the 7 train was extended one station from Times Square to Hudson Yards at a cost of almost $3 billion. And, of course, uh, the Upper East Side uh, Q train extension that cost uh, billions of dollars. Yeah, I mean, that's – so, you know, we built out this this multi-trillion dollar asset like 100 years ago, and it, and it was and still very is very Manhattan-centric. Uh, so there are a lot of places in the city where people are relying on bus services. They don't have easy access to the subway system that was created and is being expanded without their transit needs in mind. Uh, and that's where buses are just like the number one way for us to effectively improve transit, improve people's access to opportunity uh, without taking decades and spending billions of dollars on projects that are only going to you know, see marginal improvements to people's travel times, to the reliability of people's commutes. So that's why we are focusing a lot on on buses in the Bronx uh, and also other outer boroughs. These are places where buses are are absolutely necessary to fill in the gap that a lot of these places, a lot of these transit deserts are experiencing. Hmm. And and uh, I guess last of all, before you have to go here in a moment, uh, can you describe the organizing work uh, that Riders Alliance has? Uh, done on uh, with Fordham Road bus passengers and how people can find out more um, about the work that Riders Alliance is doing across the city. Yeah, of course. So for, oh God, it feels like forever, but we've been out at Fordham Road consistently, specifically around the area uh, around Fordham Plaza and between like Jerome and Webster where the busway or the proposed busway would be going. Uh, just a very, very thick commercial area with a lot of commerce going on out there. So we've been able to talk to a whole bunch of riders about this. Uh, we we have a petition going around. It's gained over a thousand signatures so far. It's from bus riders saying we want a busway on Fordham Road, and it's in direct opposition to the 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 few voices that were able to to essentially kill the busway project. But if you would like to get involved with this, if you'd like to to be a part of this ongoing story, uh. Please follow us on all socials. It's just at Riders Alliance, very simply. Or you can go to ridersalliance.org. There you can see what kind of upcoming events we have. You can sign a petition yourself. You can get in contact with us, uh, particularly if you're a bus rider in the Bronx, one that, that you know uses buses on Fordham Road that, that would benefit from a busway. We need to hear from you. And as disappointing as it is that, you know, Looking at a parallel situation like on McGinnis, where they have seven thousand plus signatures, and that doesn't seem to be getting through to to Mayor Adams. Uh, still, the more voices that we can get in support of this busway from bus riders in the Bronx, the better. Okay, uh, Derek Holmes uh, from the Riders Alliance. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon on the Independent News Hour here on WBAI. Yeah, of course. Thanks for inviting me. You bet. We'll be back with more after this short break. 
That was Under Pressure by David Bowie and Queen. You're listening to the Independent News Hour on WBAI. Uh, in a moment, we're going to move to our final segment. Uh, before we do, uh, uh, both Elsie and I want to encourage you uh, to support this station to make it possible uh, for people to hear voices like Derek Holmes, uh, like Evelyn uh, Jones-Rich, and the union organizer, a Teamster driver we're going to hear from in a moment. Elsie, uh, what's the number people can call? The number that people can call is 212-209-2950. That's right. Or you can go online to give number two, WBAI.org. You can pull out the plastic and be, sign up to become a WBAI buddy for as little as $10 a month. You get all sorts of awesome premiums, and you get the satisfaction of really being uh, a, a bedrock of the station's uh, financial stability. We know WBAI hasn't had a lot of that, but... The reason it's able to uh, persevere uh, to a large extent is the support of WBAI buddies giving $10, $20, $30, $50 a month, whatever you can give, 212-209-2950. Give a number to WBAI.org. Uh, so uh, for our last segment, uh, we're going to uh, uh, hear about uh, what could be one of the biggest uh, private sector uh, labor strikes in uh, decades here in the United States. Uh, the um, Teamsters uh, uh, at UPS, uh, their contract runs out at the end of the month, and they vowed to go on strike on August 1st if UPS does not meet uh, their demands. UPS's profits have soared during the pandemic, and the workers want say they want their fair share. Uh, uh, my colleague Amba Gagarian uh, spoke earlier today with Antonio Rosario. He's both a a Teamster driver with 29 years of service, and he's also a union organizer who's right in the thick of all this. Uh, he works uh, for, or he's a member of Local 804 here in New York and is in touch with uh, Teamsters across the country. Uh, uh, um, so I also want to let people know that Teamsters uh, president, Sean O'Brien, uh, is possible he'll be at a, a practice picket at the Foster Avenue uh, complex 
in Brooklyn on Friday morning. But when Amba's uh, conversation, in her conversation with Antonio Rosario, uh, he started by uh, speaking about uh, what the union has already won at the negotiating table and why talks have collapsed, at least for now. I am here with Antonio Rosario, a nearly 29-year UPS worker and an organizer with Teamsters Local 804, has been an integral part of organizing um, the the sort of a ramp-up for this potential strike during these contract negotiations uh, between the workers of UPS represented by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters and uh, the company UPS, which uh, is not wanting to share as the wealth that's made over the pandemic. So, Antonio Rosario with Local 804 Teamsters, welcome to the Independent News Hour. Thank you so much for having me. I really do appreciate it. It's great to have you here. So, uh, you all, meaning the, the Teamsters, uh, uh, UPS drivers, have been uh, uh, and the representatives have been negotiating with the company now here for a few weeks, and you've already gotten um, some some big wins in tentative agreements, um, but negotiations have more or less collapsed as of the last, um, well, since July fifth. So, uh, take us through what you've won and um, and. Uh, why things collapsed. Right. Um, so, you know, over the last few weeks, negotiations have been heating up. Um, but, you know, it's been an up and down kind of roller coaster. Like at some point I'm thinking, okay, we're going to avoid the strike because they're giving up so much. And then there are times where they're not bargaining in good faith. And then I'm like, all right, we're, we're probably going to strike now. So it's like, it's just been a roller coaster. And, um, like you mentioned on July 5th, uh, negotiations broke down around 4 a.m., 4.15 in the morning. Um, and UPS ended by saying they have nothing else to give. Now, at this point, we have made some really big gains, uh, you know, thanks to the leadership of Sean O'Brien and that great negotiating committee. Um, they got us uh, Martin Luther King Day as a holiday. That is now our official national holiday for UPS Teamsters that we never had before. Um, they were able to get uh, removal of the 22-4 two-tier job. That's been a problem ever since 2018, which is, you know, most know once you get language in a contract, sometimes very difficult to get that back. Um, so it was great that we were able to remove that and make those all RPCDs, which you call regular package car drivers. Um, yeah, thank you. And another big win was um, no more excessive overtime, especially in parts of the region where workers were working six days a week you know, uh, not spending any time with their families, 10, 12 hour days, you know, no quality of life, you know, that's just, and they were doing it for almost two years or over two years. And it's just a horrible way to, you know, to, and, and disciplining people for not showing up. They're working six days, like give them a break. So they're not allowed any, any longer to force anyone in on a six day for overtime. Um, and I think it's a big, a, a big deal. The 22 fours were being exploited by, with overtime. Um, they completely abused them as far as, uh, working hours because they had no protections like the RPCDs do. Like they could put in request loads. They can, you know, for an eight hour day, they can get on a nine five list, which, uh, is, is protection for the week to keep them under a certain amount of time. So they don't go over and have excessive overtime, but that language wasn't there for the 22 fours. So that was huge to get that removed. Um, and, uh, finally, the economic proposal, you know, was dropped. 
we we gave them a proposal that we thought was beneficial to our workers and 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 well deserved by our workers because of, like you mentioned working through the pandemic and everything they've been through and being called essential and heroes while people were in their homes and our workers were out there putting their lives on the line their families lives at risk and many people were hurt many people were hospitalized many people were you know died so yeah it, it, to for them to come back with a counter proposal like they did was I, I just there's no other way to say it. it's a slap in the face to these hardworking men and women of this company, um, you know, uh, of the Teamsters. And, uh, you know, what kind of reasons did they propose? And, and then what are you guys proposing? Right. So, I mean, you know, I, I'm not I'm not too familiar with the numbers. I know that ours were at the end of the day, something that I, that the drivers would be happy and the part-time workers would be happy with. And the company came back with the, their numbers. I do know, um, they, it was like $2 and 85 cents over the next five years, which was like ridiculous and progressionary status. It was like 50 cents for a couple of years and then 60 something cents. It was like, it was just so ridiculous. I think at one point, from my understanding, they wanted to split up one in six months and give you like a quarter for six months and then another quarter, another six months later. And it was just so right. disrespectful. And these part-time workers are making fifteen fifty in New York. Um, they make it, it, it's kind of a bittersweet thing, right? That you make the same amount of money at UPS because it's a nationwide contract. You're going to make fifteen fifty as a, a part-time loader in North Carolina or in New York. But in New York, that's fifty cents above minimum wage. And uh, yeah. that you know, this, there's this this not providing great living conditions for these guys, right? No, not at all. And it's sad because they're trying to say the company's trying to say that they pay their part timers twenty dollars an hour, and they give them these great benefits and everything, and they have pensions. And they're right; they do have good benefits, and they do have a pension. Don't pretend it's because of you. The union fought for those, and the salary. They only get those twenty dollars an hour in particular areas where they're having trouble finding workers to do the job. So they'll have what they call an MRA, a market rate adjustment, and they'll just pay it in that particular area, like maybe in some rural area in Seattle, but. For the most part, those workers aren't making any more than 15, 16 bucks an hour. And it's, that's not a livable wage. So, you know, uh, when contract negotiations broke down, that was it. At 4 a.m. in the morning, it's because they said they have nothing else to give and our leadership would not sell out the part-time workforce. And I think that's huge. Cause I know in the past, there were many contracts that were, that were gotten that when we have reached this point and we had so many gains, they were like, okay, well, the part-timer is only going to get this, but that's okay. And it was like, everybody would agree to it. And it's like, no, you know, we're not selling out our part-time workforce. We never should have. We never should ever. And these are, they're like the backbone of our company. You know, these are the kids that are loading their trucks, busting their humps early in the morning, waking up at 3 a.m., loading three or four trucks. One driver will deliver this all day long. And yeah, it's a tough job. And I commend them. That's it's not easy work. I did. I was on a package for 19 years, but I worked inside as well. I was that young part timer back in 94. And I remember that I had to load three or four of those trucks that he took all day to unload. And I'd have to load it in under four hours. Sometimes at three and a half, they're trying to kick you off the clock. And I'll never forget those days, you know, and I know that those workers deserve more. Yeah, we're all union. There should be, there shouldn't be that big a disparity between the full-time workers and the part-time workers. 
And you told me, uh, Antonio, in an earlier conversation that, yes, yeah, so it was three to four um, truckloads back in your day, so in the, the 90s, uh, mid-90s, and that now sometimes it's five to six. Yeah, I, that is correct. We have not changed that much, and that's kind of that's kind of capitalism for you. I was trying to take more out of the worker, but that's just um, wild. Um, and do you think that that has that the the fact that the part time loaders got sort of maybe forgotten in previous contracts has led to even sort of um, any tension within the ranks of the union itself? You think that getting wins for them could help strengthen re strengthen that? I mean, absolutely. It speaks for itself. I mean, this is a, a workforce that has always been tough to engage. Um, you know, you do have a lot of good part-timers that, that pay attention to what's going on. And, but the majority of them, you know, they, they're not because they've been forgotten about for almost 20 years. So they've gotten the short end of the stick all this time. And we're expecting them to be like, rah, rah, the union, the union, when, when at the end of the day, they haven't been completely, you know, uh, looked after and they've always, well, you know, and I have to make a, a quick correction because in my day, even though we made less money than the drivers, I was still making a fair share of salary above minimum wage. Um, you know, in 94, you know, it was different. It was, I think, minimum wage, if I'm not mistaken, was somewhere around $3 or $4. And it wasn't way above minimum wage, but it was like, I mean, I was like, I'm making some good money here, you know? And, uh, but here we are in, in 2023. And, and what did that go up? We're talking almost 25 years. And what did that increase? About five or $6. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. With inflation, that makes no sense. And, you know, it's just not fair. Um, and they, you know, thankfully, uh, our leadership this time said, you know what, we're not selling out to part-timers. And I love that. You know, that's a big deal for me. That's a big deal for a lot of workers out there. And I really think that will help engage our part-time workers and, and actually have them more engaged, want to be more part of this union and, and actually, you know, be able to start bringing them together. We all got to come together. Um, in, in 97, we did that. And I, I mentioned that in an article that was written right after the 97 strike. And so, and, this, uh, yeah, the strike of 97, last strike, um, last UPS strike, uh, pretty much great, wide success for the workers just for yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the things I said when I was being asked, because I was I was only about 23 years old when the interviewer was asking me uh, what, you know, I, I remember saying that we had made some big gains and I was really proud, you know, to be in the, in the union. And that the one thing about it that really stuck out to me was that the part timers and the full timers stood together, you know, mm -hmm. shoulder to shoulder against this company. And it, it, it actually feels so, you know, I really can't. Uh, put it into words how I've been feeling, especially listening to Sean O'Brien say that we're not selling out our part-tamers because that's exactly how I felt back then. And it's like me being like, kind of like a kid again, just feeling those emotions again, you know, saying, wow, but now I'm older. I'm, you know, one of the leaders in this labor movement. And, you know, that feeling is just amazing. You know, that, that energy that knowing that we're not going to, you know, they have been the forgotten ones for so long. So I'm really excited to see what's going to be happening over the next few weeks. Cause we just, you know, they said, Hey, they got nothing else to give. So in my eyes, we have nothing else to say. And I'm not sure what Sean O'Brien's thinking, but I mean, I, I, I could only assume he's thinking, Hey, we got nothing else to say. Uh, we'll see you in August when we hit the pavement, but we'll see. That's been yet to be determined, but. I don't see any other outcome unless UPS, you know, comes to the table. And again, the ball's in their court. All they have to do to get a deal right now 
is sign the deal and make sure our part-timers get what they deserve because everything else is set. Right. And that's Sean O'Brien, the president of the Teamsters um, that's been at the helm of contract negotiations. But I want to talk uh, briefly just to compare and contrast the lead up to this uh, potential strike um, that would be happening August 1st. And uh, and then the strike of 97, which, like I said, was basically widely a success. Um, so compare uh, what's different and, and if there's more energy now or. Well, there definitely is way more energy now, um, but there was a lot of energy back then too. Don't get me wrong. Right, that's what I like to hear. It was so, it was amazing. I have to say it was amazing. Uh, and mind you, I'm at the time I'm 22, 23 in that age group, and I was a young kid. And uh, I just remember the camaraderie. I remember the, the 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 trucks that would go by and honk, and we would go nuts. I remember you know uh, screaming at the supervisors, yelling at the scabs. Um, you know, it was a, a very interesting time. Um, and we got a lot of support back then, but you know, it wasn't like what I'm seeing today. Uh, I mean, we did get a huge amount of community support. The public backed us in 97, but you got to remember times have changed, especially technology. Social media has just changed everything. E-commerce has changed everything, right? The e-commerce boom is what's generating all this wealth. You know, during the pandemic, people just that like to go to stores now are clicking that, you know, they used to go to stores now, got used to clicking that button and getting stuff delivered right to their homes. So they're essentially our new customers. So over over the last two, three years, e-commerce has, I mean, between companies like Amazon and, and UPS, they made a killing. And they're not sharing with their workers, and you see it. You see Amazon workers right now are striking. Uh, there's a group in Palmdale, California that unionized 84 drivers and from my understanding, picket lines are being extended all parts of California. They've been hitting many buildings. They're even striking in Jersey and Connecticut and Massachusetts. Yeah. And it's been pretty amazing to watch. And it's because, you know, people are feeling it. They're frustrated Absolutely. with these issues making all this money, right? I mean, somebody's got to finally stand up to these people. And I think it's being done right now, people. And, and it, it's so amazing to see. And in 97, I felt it. In 97 was where we were trying to fight it. And we did. We won big. And, um, you know, we got all the support. But now, in 2023, we're taking it up another level. I mean, I'm talking about from all this organizational support we've been getting from organizations like Align, Make the Road, the DSA, um, there's so many. Um, and, and it's amazing to see when we're out there in these rallies, they all come and they'll have donuts and coffee and support and they're out there with signs and uh, we're not even striking yet. And we're already getting all this support. It's amazing. And then on social media, you see the pictures of the people on the, on the practice picket lines. The practice pickets have been like so fun. I mean, it's happening all over the country and we're just having a real good time out there holding up the practice signs. We got chants going. I mean, it, it is really, I can't, I can't, you know, it, it's, I just know that if we strike, you know, one, they're going to do it to themselves and two, we're so ready. Like we are going to, and it's again, they're not going to see just a bunch of Brown uniforms out there. They are going to see Brown uniforms. They're going to see red t-shirts. They're going to see uh, uh, people that we deliver packages coming to our picket lines are the communities that we service as drivers and that we took care of during these tough times. I mean, we got, we're, we're really getting a lot of support and um, the, the company would be, 
um, you know, b- making a big mistake, not just paying these part-time workers what they deserve. They re- really don't because they have no idea what they're about to create, the spark that's going to that's gonna turn into a roaring fire. So, um, okay, good. I can pause that out. Okay, so that's the 15-minute mark, so we have about three more minutes, so I'll just ask you two more questions. Um, so, yeah. That's great. And you guys have been having these practice picket lines um, at the same time all over the country. So I think last week there was a time in which there were nearly a 100, you know, uh, different practice pickets going on, you know, at the same time or on the same morning at different UPS locations all around the country. And I can only imagine the solidarity that the workers feel when they know that. And, you know, I was there at one of them and I saw the energy. And you're right. It feels like you're just on the picket line. So, you know, um, and the things I overheard from workers were um, really exciting. So I uh, agree with you on all of that there. I just want you to speak briefly about the change in dynamics in the union over the past couple of years. Uh, can you explain question. to people the militarism that the union has um, taken on after being, well, pretty much entrenched for a long time? And um, so our listeners know um, it, with the previous president, uh, Jim Hoffa Jr., uh, the contract negotiated in 2018 with the UPS uh uh, was the workers were not happy with. It was bad. Um, Antonio is motioning. So, yeah, just tell us about the shift in, in, in the, well, the union. You know, that's a great question. Um, and 2018 was uh, the last straw for a lot of us. Don't get me wrong. Thanks to the help of uh, – um, I remember I joined uh, Teams for Democratic Union uh, around 2016, and it was because, you know, uh, I knew that we needed change, and I saw that they were working together to try to remove leadership at the top. With and, that's a more, and that's a more rank-and-file based uh, Democrat. Right. It's a, right. It's a, it's a caucus. It's a caucus. It's a, a nonprofit organization. Um, you know, and they're, they're really great. There's a lot of rank and file teamsters in that group. Okay. That was, uh, uh, UPS, uh, teamster, uh, driver and, uh, union organizer Antonio Rosario speaking earlier today with the independence Ambu Gagarian. And uh, we're going to continue to follow the story of the uh, impending Teamsters strike, and there will be another practice picket um, at the UPS uh, uh, complex uh, at uh, 10,401 Foster Ave on Friday morning at 7.30, as rumors that uh, Teamster President Sean O'Brien may be there as well. Um, but we have to go for now. I want to thank our board operator, Reggie Johnson, also uh, working behind the scenes today, uh, Amba Gagarian. Uh, Owen shocked, and we also had a great assist from Lizette Cologne. And um, we'll be back same time next week. And uh, Elsie, what's our uh, final song for today? Daydreaming by Aretha Franklin will be sending us out. Thank you for tuning in.
the kind of guy that would say, hey baby, let's get away, let's go someplace, huh? Well, I don't care. 